Hi, I'm Josh McDonald. And I'm Miranda Materi, and we are Hand Therapy Academy. We're going to talk a little bit today about chronic regional pain syndrome, or CRPS. We used to call it RSD, but changed the name of it. So let's talk a little bit about CRPS is. Uh, Miranda, when do you feel like um, CRPS is a biggest concern? Like, when does it pop up in your mindset? Like, oh, this is something I need to think about with this patient. Yeah, and I think you said chronic, but I think it's complex regional Yes, pain. I'm sorry, you're right. It is complex. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know it's like really late at night here, so <laughs> our brains are probably a little fine. Okay, so what is my first thing when I start noticing the symptoms? Is that yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, I feel like the biggest thing with CRPS is identifying it early. So if you can identify it early, then you're going to be doing your patients a huge favor. So looking for some of those symptoms and signs of it. And then once you notify or once you notice those, then you're notifying the referring provider that sent it to you. Hey, this patient is demonstrating these signs. Is there anything we can do? Can we start a metrol dose pack? Do they need a pain management referral? Uh, some of those things. And then and then what you're doing clinically to treat them a little bit different, right? So when I'm getting this patient with these early signs and symptoms, I'm saying, okay, this patient needs to be probably in like a really quiet environment and a quiet, like try to decrease any stress that they may have because we're going to be doing some deep breathing and we're going to do some things that really kind of calm their nervous system down. So those are kind of my first things that I'm thinking about when I see a CR or have early signs of CRPS. Um, how about you? Anything? Yeah. L let's talk for a minute about what those early signs may be. If you have a patient with, um, typically they fit a demographic, middle-aged female, a lot of times dysraised fracture, but there's lots of patients outside those demographics. So I don't want to just pin it down to those, but I'm going to have a patient who has the, um, dysfunctional pain responses. There's the allodynia and hyperpathia, but basically their pain doesn't match what it should. They, they have a pain response that is more significant than would be indicated. They have pain with things that shouldn't cause pain or pain that lasts persistently longer than this after the stimulus is removed. So that pain indication that doesn't really match the stimulus is one indicator. Um, they may have that brawny edema, that edema that's very dense and thick, not necessarily pitting, although that can go with it too, um, but that brawny edema, um, the shape of the fingers if that changes and they get more pointed and kind of a broad to more of a point, that happens a little bit later, so that's not usually an indicator, but just that sensitivity to touch um, and then stiffness through the joints that maybe doesn't match the injury. If it's a distal radius fraction, they have really stiff MCPs and, and IP joints. That's something that uh, can kind of go with that as an early indicator. Yeah, and sometimes too, when you're identifying that those signs early on, it could be that they, they may have like an impinged nerve, right? So the impinged nerve may be causing that symptom. So when you send them back to the doctor, they could fix the problem and then it goes away. Or you might have the other type where you have to, you know, go through some of the more, I guess what we probably think of more as um, CPR, CRPS and the therapy for that. Yeah, yeah. And so if I have a patient who's presenting with that hypersensitivity and presenting with some of those situations, uh, maybe some of the pseudomotor responses where they're getting very, very sweaty, they get kind of clammy skin, um, they may start to develop, it's not necessarily an early indicator, but they may get like abnormal or black hair growth in some of those areas. So some of those things develop a little later, but if they have that, I'm going to back way off on how much I'm pushing or forcing on the patient both with like intensity of presentation of things like Miranda talked about quiet environments, very calm, cool things. But I'm also not going to like 
physically push on them for passive range of motion. They're stiff and our normal response to stiff is let's push harder. I need to almost do the opposite and back off and just do like light functional movement and desensitization contact and um, a desensitization kit, some of those things just to kind of disarm the system a little bit. Yeah. And you really have to. So even like with the, you know, like if I'm doing like the sensory kit and it's like kind of getting them more like excitatory, then I'll be like, that's not a good one, you know, for them. So watching them and how they respond to what you're doing is really key. And a lot of times I'll, t- I'll give these patients, I'll be like, Hey, um, I want you to do 15 minutes of aerobic activity per day. Cause I think there's some research showing that just getting out and walking and doing that can really help. And then have them pick the exercise that they do. Like, I want you to move your hand in some way, you know, and you, you can pick the way. Is it, you know, maybe it's, you know, grabbing a towel and putting the towel down or just have them pick one thing that they do, you know, throughout that day. Cause you don't want them to get stiff, but you also want them to have some control, right? I feel like these patients really need to take on some ownership and control of what's going on. And so I think where it becomes challenging is where their doctor is telling you to do aggressive therapy and that patient is in no way ready for aggressive therapy. And you know that aggressive therapy is only going to make their hand worse. Yeah. And, and I will, uh, rarely do I look at a prescription that says aggressive range of motion and I just say, all right, let's hammer it. I mean, that's, that, I, that's not how it works. And, and so I tell patients like, okay, understand the concept that they're looking for. They're saying hit therapy hard, but we understand that that doesn't mean I'm just cranking on you. That means we're trying hard in therapy and we're doing good things, but let's not necessarily just push and cause pain for the sake of pain because that can ramp things up and make things worse than it was to begin with. Yeah. And I think with like these CRPS patients, there's been a lot of um, links where they've shown like this increase in glial cell activation in their brain. So the glial cells are like the soldiers in your brain, the brain, they want to work when, you know, your body's going through pain or some sort of response. So with these patients, when they have that increased activation, and if you activate it more, it's just going to get worse and worse. And then you have this like negative feedback loop, right? So we need to do things to deactivate those glial cells, bring them down and then get like a positive feedback loop going. So if they can do an exercise pain-free, we want to keep doing that thing pain-free over and over again. So then the brain is seeing like, okay, I'm not hurt. I don't need to have this like hyper response. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the pain-free movement exercises? What are some of the CRPS directed therapies that you find successful? So if they can't move, if it's too painful for them, say it was happened because of a proximal phalanx fracture. So if they can't move their finger where the injury is at, then at the very least, I'm going to have them, if they can move their wrist, then we're moving the wrist, then we're moving the elbow, the shoulder. So we're doing all the other, you know, um, joints that we can without causing pain. And then, um, I might say, hey, can you, you know, are you able to, I think we talked about this in another podcast, are you able to pick up something like um, a grape or something and feed yourself with that finger? Can you do something that has a positive feedback with it? Um, So you're getting, your brain is seeing it as a positive movement instead of as a negative movement. So it might be something like that. What about, and some of the other stuff, um, I guess I don't, I used to do a lot of like stress loading, but I don't know if that really works um, as much as I think it should. I've done some of that stuff, but it's usually whatever the patient can do without exciting their system. 
Yeah. How about how about you? I'm a fan of the light functional movement stuff and just getting them to say like, hey, my hand can move that. Like I'll, I'll put, we have the cut up slow foam squares in a tub and I'll say, I'm just going to put them on the table and I want you to just work on putting them in just with that hand. I can't do that. I can't do that. That's okay. Can you grab something and, and really a positive encouraging. And then before they know it within 60 seconds, they're one at a time moving these things and say, your hand is okay. And this in a very positive, encouraging way saying like this, you can do this in a functional way. I'm with you on the stress loading thing, whether it's pressing a brush into the table or on a wall and like compressing the bristles to scrub and, and or stress loading with traction and carrying a light dumbbell around the room. Some of those things, I feel like that can be helpful for those patients who are maybe a little bit longer in their CRPS, but I won't do that in the early stages because that can feel a little intimidating to say like, I got to put load through this hand. So um, I don't do that until like, okay, we're in this now deep seated CRPS, unfortunately. Let's do some of this and see if that helps a little bit. Um, what do you think about like graded motor imagery? Are you using that much at this point? Yeah, I do like that. I like a lot of like mindfulness, some of the greater motor imagery stuff, the laterality stuff. I think those are great tools. Um, I actually can't believe we haven't talked about them earlier. We're already 10 minutes <laughs> in, but we haven't even talked about that yet. <laughs> I, I like them. I know the research supports them. I am a very concrete and objective person. And so it's something I have to like make myself do. I know it's effective and there's good research. I just have to like, okay, that's a good thing for us. But it also the patients have to buy into it because if they're doing mirror box therapy and their eyes are somewhere else watching something else, that's not the effectiveness of it. Yeah. So I think it's like really about educating the patient on how it works and why it works. So you do get that buy-in, but you're right. If they don't have that buy-in, then you're kind of like, there's no point in doing it. And if they're looking at the TV instead of their, their hand during it, it's pointless. Yeah. Yeah. So, but and, I know there's lots of good research supporting graded motor imagery and some of those exercises. And the patient population who tends to get that CRPS, I think does respond to that. Well, um, I, like I said, I am such a, a concrete minded person that it's, it's hard for me to, to just make that my go-to. And so it's got to be the right patient. It's got to be a patient that's, that's willing to say like, okay, let's go through this mindfulness, this um, visualization exercise to say like, I'm going to step-by-step step go through the exercise of prepping a meal using that hand to break that pain feedback loop in the sympathetic nervous system. But it's hugely effective. Yeah. And I feel like with these patients, I always tell them, hey, like this exercise or this mirror therapy isn't going to cure you. It's not going to make you 100% better, but it can improve your symptoms by 10%. And then this exercise, you know, you doing your daily walks can improve it by 10%. And then you taking alpha lipoics is another 10%. So you're getting all these percentages and then it adds up to be 50, 60%. So wouldn't you do these things to make you 50 to 60% better? Yeah. Individually, yeah. it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you add in all these little interventions, it can be powerful and it can be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I like that description. That's, I feel like I could use that for a lot of different things when trying to get a patient to do all these little things. It's a cumulative benefit and it all adds up. Yeah. It all together makes a big difference. Yeah. All right. There's, that's just scratching the surface on CRPS. There's all kinds of stuff you could get into on that. We didn't even get into all the different uh, medication treatments and nerve blocks and all that. Maybe we'll tackle that in another podcast uh, in the future, but thanks for joining us. Hopefully that's helpful on CRPS. If you have questions, you can email us info at Ham Therapy Academy or check out our Instagram at Ham Therapy Academy.